0: Little honey bees flying around. Little green peas from the ground. Buttermilk biscuits, nice and brown. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Butter beans, peas, beets, and chard. Chickens running in the yard. Catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee Farm- table.
1: Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of the state of Tennessee who produce, prepare, and preserve food and agriculture, often with that Mountain South Appalachian flair. And on occasion, I just might have a guest from our neighbors from surrounding states here in the Southeast. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. Today we are setting the table with classic foods and recipes many people enjoy on Easter weekend and an upcoming Tennessee wine event featuring Tennessee wines. My guests are Karen Zorio with her hot cross bun recipe, farmer, homesteader, and cookbook author Allison Bales with her mother's deviled egg recipe and some tips for peeling hard-boiled eggs, Chef Joseph Blauvelt, instructor program coordinator for Pellissippi State Community College culinary arts program, along with news of the Foothills Sip Tennessee Wine Festival, which is coming up and will take place at Pellissippi State Blount County campus, featuring all Tennessee wines. The students from the culinary and hospitality programs at Pellissippi State Community College are heavily involved in this festival. I hope you're having a really good day today, and I thank you so much for tuning in today by podcast or radio broadcast. I truly appreciate your good company, so thank you. Our first guest is Karen Sorio, and before her retirement for many years, she owned and operated Something Savory Bakery in Maryville, Tennessee. She now does personal projects for people if they want a birthday cake or a special meal or something like that, and um, she's also a personal chef for a busy couple of doctors, and she and her husband, Mike, are really enjoying their grandchildren. I've known Karen since 2007 and we've always wanted to get together and record her story about hot cross buns. What are hot cross buns for people who don't know?
2: Okay, hot cross buns are a spicy little sweet bun. They're not a cinnamon roll, but they do have spices in them and they're an Easter tradition. Started way back in the 12th century. Some monks used to make them and give them out to the poor on Easter week. What a treat it was, I bet. Yes, and it became a tradition over many years, you know, in England, mostly in the United Kingdom. Scotland, England, Wales, that's where it originated. But now it's become more popular around the world.
1: They they literally have a little cross on the top of
2: them. They do. And, you know, the hot cross buns are, um, they represent the end of Lent. The Lent season ends. It's 40 days of Lent. And so that typically ends on Good Friday. And that's when a lot of people serve these. When I had the bake shop, that's when I would sell the most of them was on Good Friday. People would come in and buy them, by the dozens.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yes.
2: What a fun time. All those people who give up bacon for Lent, then, woohoo! they can eat bacon at <laughs> <and> hot <high> crossbones. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Lent gets long, and that's the point of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it represents, too, when you go back and look at the religious history, you mentioned the church, you know, serves them. Um, that 40 days was a time um, when Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days, and he fasted, and he prayed, and he searched. And so that's, that's why we celebrate Lent. And then these little rolls, um, the cross on the top represents the crucifixion of okay. Jesus. And the spices that we use inside of those rolls represent the spices that they use to entomb him on his burial.
1: I did not know that. Yes. What are the spices?
2: Well, you can use a variety, but typically cinnamon, cardamom, and uh, peels of lemon and orange, the dried lemon peels and orange peels, give it that extra special little flavor. But you can add any type of spices that you prefer, but cardamom and cinnamon are the most popular.
1: Are they
2: hard to make? Well, they're a yeast bread. And if you've done any baking at all, you kind of know that yeast breads can be a little tricky at times. It's a time and temperature thing for yeast. And so, no, they're not hard to make because you don't have to proof your yeast. I put everything in a mixer all at once and just whip it up and let it rise. And then I cut it into 12 little sections and um, put it in a grease dish, glass dish, and let it rise another hour or so. And then bake them off. Takes about 15 minutes to bake them.
1: Well, for you, it might be easy.
2: Oh, I think anyone could. I find it easier than some yeast breads. Yeah, I really do.
1: It looks like there might be little raisins in them. Do you? I use currants. You do? Yes.
2: Yeah, so you can put golden raisins. Uh, some people like little bits of dried fruit like apricot or cherry. You could use that very easily in these. Golden raisins and currants are popular.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But don't you know if you're poor and you've been just eating root vegetables and things in the middle yes. of the winter, what a treat this would be. Oh,
2: yes. yes. I think it was a treat for them.
1: Yes. It is for me
2: today. <laughs> I hope you enjoy <laughs> these. These are for you. Thank you. You're welcome. Do you
1: mind to run down a basic recipe for Oh, me? I'll be glad to. Thank you.
2: Let's see if I can remember everything. I start out by putting three quarters of a cup of warm water. Get that water to around 110 degrees. Not too hot it'll kill your yeast but just about 110 degrees and then I add a quarter cup of sugar, three tablespoons of butter, two tablespoons of dried yeast, a half a teaspoon of salt, a teaspoon of cardamom, a teaspoon of ground cinnamon, and three cups of flour. And if you want to make these vegan, you can leave the dairy out. But I put a tablespoon of milk in mine. Milk tends to make the dough soft. Yeah. And then take an egg and beat that egg up and add it to the batter. And just turn your mixer on and let it mix up for, I let mine mix a good five minutes. You want to build that gluten up. It gives that roll a little bit of good texture. And then after that, I take it out and um, cover it with a dry towel and let it rise somewhere in a warm spot for about an hour and it'll double in size and then I punch it down and I roll it out into a log and cut that log into 12 equal pieces and grease a glass 9 by 13 baking dish and put those rolls in there they'll be touching each other they'll be crowded and then take an egg yolk with a teaspoon of water and whip that egg yolk up with a fork and take a pastry brush and brush the top of those rolls while they're still dough and before you let them rise. Now you're gonna want those to sit somewhere quiet for about an hour and rise again. And when you look in that glass dish, they're gonna be doubled in size. And that's when you pop them in a hot oven, 375 degrees for 20 minutes. And now one of the tricks is to keep your dough from getting soggy, you'll wanna take it out as soon as it comes out of the oven, take it out of that glass dish Put it on a wire rack and let it cool. Let it get really cool for about an hour. And then you're gonna take a half a cup of powdered sugar, a quarter teaspoon of vanilla extract, and one tablespoon of milk or heavy cream, whatever you got in the fridge, and whip it up in a dish. And then you wanna put it in a little bag, you can take a Ziploc bag if you don't have a pastry bag, cut the tip out of it, and go ahead and put a little stripe across on top of each one and let them sit for a little while. But you wanna make sure your rolls are cool so that your glaze doesn't go spreading around. But that little touch of icing gives them just a little bit of sweetness and puts the little cross on top, which is what we enjoy looking at.
1: (laughs) So beautiful. Thank you. For people listening, I want y'all to know that she just said all that with no notes.
0: This woman knows her business.
2: (laughs) I've baked for a few years. <laughs> I learned to bake for my grandmother. My grandmother loved to cook and bake. Back in the oh 19, late 30s and 40s she um, ran a boarding house. Really? Uh-huh she did and she cooked and then later on in life um, her grandchildren came along. I was her firstborn grandchild and grandmother was so patient she always let me in the kitchen. She'd tie an apron on me, put a chair up to the counter and let me help her with whatever she was making, whether it was rolling out biscuits or stirring mashed potatoes, whatever she needed me to do, I, I learned to help. I remember her teaching me how to use a paring knife <laughs> when I was little. <laughs> and after a few nicks and cuts here and there, I finally learned. But I, I think I, I must have developed that love of cooking at an early age from her. And it's still today, and I'm passing it on to my grandchildren.
1: That's such a beautiful thing. Well, mm-hmm. what's her name?
2: Minnie, Minnie Allen. She was a identical twin, Minnie and Winnie. Oh, <laughs> I love that. And you couldn't tell them apart. Where'd
1: she live her life? Kentucky. Oh my goodness! Mm-hmm. What part?
2: Uh, Williamsburg. Oh my goodness! Mm-hmm.
1: What a lovely memory.
2: Yes.
1: What a good way to
2: learn from a family member that loves you enough to to teach you. It takes patience. I know that now as a grandmother. (laughs) When I tie an apron on my little five-year-old and six-year-old granddaughters and they want to help me roll out dough, it takes a lot of patience because I know at the end of this endeavor, I've got about an hour's worth of cleanup. (laughs) And I'm sure my dear grandmother did too.
1: (laughs) Is that what they call paying for your raisins? (laughs) Perhaps. can't thank you enough for just sparing time and making hot cross buns and sharing your story with us
2: well thank you you're very welcome it's been a pleasure
1: absolutely yes if people would want to get in touch with you do you ever do a little cooking for people besides your family
2: i do Mm -hmm. i really do you know if someone has had surgery or they've been sick or they have a need in their family and they need some meals for a little while um i do that Mm. um if just if you need a birthday cake baked or just anything special, you could contact me at karenzorio at gmail.com. That's my email, and that's probably the easiest way to reach me.
1: You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast broadcast. We've just heard from Karen Zorio with her recipe and her perspective on the history of hot cross buns. A traditional treat for a lot of people on Easter weekend. On my website, I've put the recipe for this and a picture of her holding her hot cross buns and also a way for you to get in touch with Karen. That is at TennesseeFarmTable.com. And up next is farmer, homesteader, and cookbook author Allison Bales of Mosheim, Tennessee with her mother's deviled egg recipe.
3: Hey everybody, thanks for joining me today. I'm Allison Bales from Bales Farms in Greene County, and I'm so happy to be here with you, Amy, and my son Marshall. Most of you know us by now, but if you're just meeting me, let me quickly introduce myself and tell you my husband Barry, son Marshall, and I live on our family farm in East Tennessee and raise grass-fed and grass-finished beef, pastured pork, and pastured poultry, and as you just heard, Marshall runs a pastured egg operation. Today, in keeping with the theme of this episode, I thought I would share with you Marshall's favorite way to enjoy eggs, deviled. Someone asked me a while back what exactly a deviled egg is, and my response was that it's an elevated experience of a boiled egg. You can devil about anything. Crabs, chicken, veggies, it's just a process of making something bland, spicy, and tasty. I did some research and found out people have been deviling eggs since the Roman Empire. The first written recipe for deviled eggs that I found was in Fanny Farmer's cookbook from 1896 entitled The Boston Cooking School Cookbook. If you've never gotten your hands on that cookbook, I really recommend it. There's a ton of great recipes in there as well as tips for things like setting a table for high tea and even preparing a full holiday meal for 16 people. So deviling eggs has been around for a long time and you can devil way more than eggs but today that's what I'm focusing on, Marshall's very favorite deviled eggs. This recipe is from my mom who is famous for her deviled eggs People come from far and wide to grab her eggs, and she has graciously given me permission to share how she makes hers with you. Here it is. Take six whole eggs and place in boiling water for 12 minutes, and then plunge into ice water for 15 minutes. Once the eggs are cooled, you need to peel carefully. After peeling, slice the eggs in half long ways and scoop out the yolk into a bowl. Place the egg whites aside. In the bowl, fluff the egg yolks with a fork and add the following. One half cup JFG mayonnaise. And I am serious about my mayo. I think JFG is the best by far and it's made right here in East Tennessee. In fact, it's been made in Knoxville since 1919. So use it. Two teaspoons of sweet pickle relish, two teaspoons of sweet pickle juice, 1 teaspoon yellow mustard, and salt and pepper to taste. Mix all those together and then scoop back into the egg whites. If you're feeling really fancy, pipe the spiced yolks into the whites with a piping tip. Now, I will say as an addendum that a lively option for the pickle relish and juice if you don't have homemade pickles is to use my favorite store-bought pickles. That's a brand from north carolina called wickles we love them they're sweet with just a little heat and they add a sweet kick to the deviled eggs but if you're not into wickles stick with sweet pickles you have on hand and if you have your own homemade pickles you're that far ahead okay once you've assembled your eggs place them on an egg tray or platter garnish with chives and paprika and watch them disappear You know, I used to think deviled eggs took forever and were really cumbersome, but they're pretty simple. The hardest part by far is peeling the eggs, and if you splash a little vinegar in the ice water, that will help them peel easier. Another trick I have learned is to take the cooled egg and lightly tap around the shell on a countertop, then gently roll the egg under your hand on said countertop and the shell will easily peel away. And that's it. Deviled eggs that will be the hit of your Easter lunch, spring picnic, or any time you have extra eggs to enjoy. I hope you'll try this recipe and let me know how you like it. As always, if you want to know more about us or see Marshall in action, please reach out. You can also follow us at bellsfarmstn.com. Thanks!
1: You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. Thank you so much for tuning in today. On this Easter weekend, we've just heard from farmer, homesteader, and cookbook author Allison Bales. They make their home in Mosheim, Tennessee, and she shared with us her mama's deviled egg recipe. I've placed this recipe and Karen Zorio's hot cross bun recipe on my website at TennesseeFarmTable.com. And up next is Chef Joseph Blaufeldt, instructor and program coordinator of the Pelissippi State Community College Culinary Arts Program. Along with news of the Foothills Sip Tennessee Wine Festival coming up at the Pellissippi Blount County Campus. Featuring Tennessee wines and the students from the Culinary and Hospitality Programs at Pelissippi are heavily involved. Can you describe the Culinary Arts Program here at Pelissippi?
4: So culinary arts, it's a two-year degree, four semesters, can be very quickly for a college-ready student. Mm -hmm. So we do get some high schoolers that come in that need extra support in English or extra support in math. Mm
0: -hmm.
4: We can do that, we have that opportunity. It's probably gonna take five semesters. Mm -hmm. So literally two and a half years. Uh, They get an Associate of Applied Science degree in culinary arts. So it's culinary one. culinary two and Garmiget are the same, the second semester followed by fundamentals of baking, followed by international and capstone. Wow All in two years. Goodness. So if anybody's they're interested in baking, every student that comes in does the culinary one. It's the fundamentals. You got one, you gotta know kind of what goes on in the kitchen. Uh, get an understanding, know what the equipment is, and then they go into Fundamentals of Baking, and then they do the baking track. Still two years apart, or still two years. Wow, So
1: goodness, that's a lot in two years.
4: It is, mm-hmm. uh, it's typically average five classes, 15 mm-hmm. hours a semester. Okay. But if a student has the drive, if they, they see they want to do something different, or something else, uh, they want to be done quicker, take summer classes, mm-hmm. Every student has to take accounting. This is part of the business program. So everybody has to take introduction to business. They have to take accounting. They have to take information systems. They have to take public speaking. Good. So it's not the Food Network. Mm -hmm. Uh, No offense to the Food Network. This Mm -hmm. is not chopped, I guess I should say. There is homework. There are exams. Uh, The next two classes for Culinary 2 is 600 points.
1: Wow. Now your title is Chef Instructor, Culinary Arts Program Coordinator. Describe what you do here.
4: So I do teach. I'm a culinary instructor for Culinary 1, Culinary 2, and Garmagé. I'm also the student advisor. So I meet with each individual student. We look at their class schedule, what they've done, what's next for them, walk them through registering for class. program coordinator. I'm also the recruiter. So yesterday I was at a high school. Tuesday I was at a different high school. Next week I'm going to a different high school. I want to say I'm not the face of the program, but I'm the one they talk to. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of school shows, school fairs. Mm -hmm. I'm the first person they see. I'm the one they take their first class with. So I want to know who they are at the high school. They want to know who I am. So I recruit. I advise. I teach. um, I help the staff with whatever needs they need. They're pretty self-manageable, and that's about it.
1: That's a lot.
4: Yeah. (laughs) It's but I I love what I do. I love working with the students. I don't see myself doing anything else.
1: You do a great job. I witnessed that today. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, Like
4: I said, every day is different, and when there's a rough day, there's a rough day. But there's always tomorrow.
1: What what is garmage?
4: The study of everything cold. So if you go to a restaurant and have a salad, or a cold sandwich, uh, charcuterie, uh-huh. making sausages, pates, things like that. That's garmage. So okay. um, towards the end of the semester, we do we bring in three three hundred pound blocks of ice, and the students get a chainsaw um, and carve some ice. So like I said, everything cold ice carving is fun except when it's 30 degrees outside (laughs) yeah Um, that happens so we start with fruit we do salads we do sandwiches uh, charcuterie pates Uh, we have a function coming up for the sip the foothills that we're really going to concentrate the whole five weeks on Mm -hmm. Uh, more charcuterie dips Uh, that way we can utilize those for sip the foothills
1: One more question about the program. What sort of jobs do the graduates um, end up going for?
4: We expect our students, the final class for either culinary or baking pastry is a capstone. Mm -hmm. So that student is responsible for planning, costing, and then implementing, they have one student helper to create this three course meal for 24 24 people it's a pass or fail so if a student does not know how to succeed in that um, they can retake it okay we expect our students to have the knowledge to run manage or successfully open a restaurant this is part of the business program so they are taking accounting Um, they should know how to manage and be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, We have pretty much every piece of equipment in here you're gonna find in the industry. Mm -hmm. And we want them to know how to utilize it. Mm -hmm. We're bringing in a POS system for the fall, so they know how to clock in, how to clock out, how to manage uh, recipes, how to do costings. We do that now, but now it's gonna be on a POS system. A lot of our graduates, several have opened their own business, uh, Simple, um, in East Knoxville. A graduate there, he's doing a really good Kindle ball. Um, we have several students who, are opening their own, who have done their own business, doing catering. Uh, we have several who are doing uh, baking, de- ba- uh, baked goods delivered. A lot of them just stay in the industry. They're not chefs, they don't graduate a chef. They graduate a culinarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to earn the title as a chef, so most of them just stay in the industry and work. Mm-hmm. Um, we have what I say is 110% placement rate. We have more people looking for students than we have students.
1: So there's a wine festival coming up here on campus at Pellissippi. And how are the hospitality and culinary students and how are you all involved in that?
4: So, Sip the Food else, April 15th. We are making the food. They are projecting 800 t- tickets sold. Uh, this is probably the largest event we've ever done. The culinary, it'll actually be we will be heading up the VIP section, the VIP tent. Uh, we are going to have, um, it's a VIP ticket, they get free food, or it comes with the ticket. So we're doing uh, a full charcuterie display, um, dips, salt-baked fish, a, sh- a carving station. The culinary students will be manning that tent. Hospitality, will be doing the front of the house. They'll be going around making sure that everybody has what they need, pointing people in the right direction. They'll be helping with ticket sales booths, whatever they need to do. That's gonna be all front of the house. That's gonna be our hospitality class. We are gonna be doing charcuterie boxes. So every student on campus that week will be forming and filling boxes. Uh, We're gonna have hummus. We're gonna have a vegetarian box with hummus and olives and and fresh baked uh, crackers and I believe ciabatta, Uh, lavash crackers. Um, They're going to be boxing those up. And then the garmagee is going to be doing slicing salamis, pastramis, uh, fresh ham, and assembling boxes for them. But then we also have to run the VIP tent. So we're going to be busy.
1: That's intense. (laughs) (laughs) But
4: you know, it's, I'm glad it is. I I thrive off the rush. Uh, I was in the industry for 35 years, been in the restaurants, there's nothing like the rush of the tickets coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the end of the shift, you can sit back and go, yes, we did that. Yes. Uh, and that's what this is gonna be. The students are gonna be rushed. They're gonna be expected mm-hmm. to work. Mm-hmm. If we didn't do these type of events, they wouldn't know what real world was. I want them to experience the real world. As saying old saying goes, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. This will show them what that means. Mm-hmm. Because we will be we will be working our tails off.
1: You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. You've just heard from Chef Joseph Blavelt, instructor, program coordinator of Pelissippi State Community College Culinary Arts program. More information, pstcc.edu slash culinary. And I've also placed a link in the podcast notes, along with pictures, recipes, and the podcast for the show on my website, Tennessee Farm Table. Com. And a note, Pelissippi State does not advertise on the show, nor does Foothills Sip Tennessee Wine Festival. So we just mentioned the Foothills Sip Tennessee Wine Festival and how these students are so involved with this festival. And here's some details on the actual festival. It takes place April 15, 2023, on the Blount County campus of Pellissippi State Community College. It's a showcase of Tennessee wines, features over 100 wines produced in Tennessee, along with artisans, food, mead, and hard cider. There'll also be music from the Pellissippi State Community College musical groups of choir, bluegrass, and jazz. The proceeds from this event stay local, benefiting Tennessee agriculture, small business, and education. This event is brought to us by Tennessee Farm Wine Growers Alliance. And a note, this festival does not advertise on this show. I've placed a link to this festival, how you can get tickets, on my website at TennesseeFarmTable.com.